volunteers who have skills can help other people fix the things, the broken electronics and electricals that they have. Um, and it's, it's a learning space, so it's not a free repair shop. Um, it's a place where people can share skills and prevent waste and empower themselves. This is Janet Gunther, and you are listening to the Influence by Nature podcast, episode 28. I am your host, Stina Eilshund. We are now on our episode 28, and it's about time that we take a closer look on our electronics. I have many times tried that my electronics at some point in their lifetime does not work anymore. It might be little things, it might be big things, but anyway, they're broken and I don't know what to do about it. Luckily, someone do, um, and those someones are the people behind the Restart Project. Uh, I have been speaking to Janet Gunther from the Restart Project on this episode about how and why we should repair our electronics, even though we think that their lifetime might be over. So the Restart Project has made a bunch of Restart Project events around London. That's how they started, where they teach people how to repair their own electronics. And this is not only good for you and for your wallet, but it's also good for the environment. This is what we talk about on this episode, that we should repair electronics. It's not as hard as it looks, and we shouldn't be so afraid of actually diving down into our phones, into our computers, into our home appliances, and make sure they get a longer lifetime. So Janet She is um, an activist and anthropologist, and she is a co-founder of the Restart Project. The Restart Project started in London, but is now a global network of groups repairing their electronics all around the world. I was so lucky to catch Janet over a Skype connection, but um, to be fair, and maybe on a funny note, um, our interview is actually ending a bit abruptly in the end. Um, due to failing connection and computer issues, which is a bit ironic when we are talking about electronics. But anyway, I will try and summon up the ending of this interview myself in the in in the outro after this in- interview. So you will not lack anything of the interview once we are done. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope you will learn that we can all actually do more to prolong the lifetime of our electronics. And I hope you will just see how important an organization like the Restart Project actually is. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for joining the Influence by Nature podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you guys on. Thanks for having me. Um, It's cool to, to meet people around the world interested in similar things. I know, and and this time we're gonna talk about electronics, and we're gonna talk about gadgets and our whole uh, consumption of it, and what what your uh, project, the Restart Project, is doing about it. So to dive in, would you mind giving me just a short short introduction of you, um, sort of what is your own background, and what is the Restart Project? Uh, well, my name is Janet Gunter. Um, I what is my background? <laughs> I, <laughs> I studied global development as an undergraduate in the US and then I was a 
human rights activist. I moved to East Timor uh, as it was achieving independence um, and started working in, um, yeah, in, in the global development sector, working on rights issues, on campaigning and advocacy. Um, and then I uh, got a little bit restless and studied anthropo social anthropology, um, did, a did a degree in social anthropology. I was interested in late colonialism and what, what we had to learn from that period. Um, and, but then I, I'm just, I'm really not an academic person by nature. So I ended up, um, back again working, um, with social movements and NGOs in, uh, all over the place, really in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Um, but I, I became disenchanted with the sector for many reasons, um, and more increasingly interested in our own behaviors and, um, and the systems that underpin our consumption and, I suppose in the end, I started on what you would call the supply side, right? So I was working with organizations that helped people defend their land rights, help them think about um, social and environmental issues in the countries where a lot of the, our resources and materials come from. And then, yeah, I, I'm now currently kind of working on the, the places where we consume a lot of stuff. Although that, that distinction is... is um, is actually problematic because increasingly across the world we're starting to consume in similar ways. Um, you know, in emerging economies, people are, are are starting to act like we are here. But I thought I wanted to focus on this, so I started um, hosting um, community events with a friend of mine from the sector. Also, we were both kind of frustrated um, in our work, and we wanted to get more engaged in our local areas. So we started hosting um, restart parties. We call them. They're um, community repair events that last uh, about three hours, and they're a drop-in space where volunteers who have skills can help other people fix the things, the broken electronics and electricals that they have. Um, and it's it's a learning space, so it's not a free repair shop. Um, it's a place where people can share skills and prevent waste and empower themselves. Um, so yeah, that's and that's what the Restart Project is. We help other people do this as well. And we're building tools, um, both online and offline tools, to help people uh, spread repair and um, kind of re-engage with material issues in their communities. That sounds really cool. Um, so you kind of moved from the, you said, the supply side to maybe the demand side now and started doing these uh, restart get-together. Um, so why... Why did you choose electronics or gadgets to focus on? Because there is obviously a lot of stuff on our demand side that we maybe overuse. But why did you choose electronics? Yeah, well, I mean, you you know, your listeners may be familiar with so many different campaigns about the the way we use materials, um, the way we buy and discard things um, related to plastic waste, related to food waste, um, uh, even now, there's a lot of attention to our clothes and fast fashion, but what we identified was a real gap. So that you know, the same people that were really mortified and concerned if you took a plastic carrier bag, or who you know did all their shopping at the farmers market and you know zero air miles, etc. Those same people had a very different attitude about their electronics. It was like you know, don't, don't, don't stop me from upgrading every year. The, it was like, the, my iPhone is like my last, you know, it's my last little luxury. You know, just don't, don't take it from me. Um, and so we kind of wanted to provoke a bit and tell, you know, and, and 
and uh, help people realize that it's not just about, you know, like some kind of austere or, or um, like Luddite vision, that actually we're quite, we have such a passive relationship with the technology we have that we should take greater advantage of it. We should understand it. We should use it to its fullest. Um, and, you know, not just be kind of passive <laughs> screen swiping <laughs> automaton, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the message. It's like it's also learning about the stuff that we have and um, feeling empowered. Yeah. Yeah. So why why is it important that we don't upgrade every time we have the opportunity to get a new phone? Or why is it important that we actually sit down and we repair the electronics that we have? Mm -hmm. Well, it's. I mean, it's so for many of the reasons. I mean, they're they're similar across different products and things that we buy, but. Um, I would say with electronics, there's a huge uh, footprint and you know environmental impact in their manufacture. So, and this is true for almost any um, smaller electronics and electricals that um, you know, as long as they're not you know a, a gigantic screen or heating and cooling something, it's it's pretty safe to say that the the vast majority of the environmental impact and the energy or emissions that they'll ever create in their full life cycle happen before you actually take it out of the box, before you actually receive it. Um, with mobiles, uh, for example, the latest uh, iPhone product reports, they show that you know 80% of the carbon emissions ever made in the production of an iPhone happen before you get it. So the implication of that is is pretty big. The implication we need to use things for longer. It's not so much the... Uh, like the um electricity that it consumes while it's being used is more what actually goes in of materials and resources and energy to actually create the product in the first place. Yeah, and we like to kind of call that the shadow impact because it is, it's hidden from us. Um, it's, it's, it's obviously embedded in the device. Um, and it's not, these impacts aren't happening here. They're not happening where we're using the device. So they're happening elsewhere throughout the supply chain. Um, and they're, yeah, they are largely invisible to us. So in a sense, it, it makes sense that people are, you know, concerned with, you know, reducing their use of, of, of carrier bags or straws or, you know, other disposable things that they have around them because it's that, that impact is kind of more, in a sense, it feels more immediate and more familiar um, to, the, to, to them. Um, and with, with a lot of these products where a lot of the impacts happen, before we before we use them, yeah, it, it, it's it's something that we have to become more literate about and more aware of. And I mean, I guess there are reasons why we we don't know about it, right? Because manufacturers definitely don't want us to really know about this. Um, there are no manufacturers yeah. who follow an actual like standard for you know for for disclosing um, environmental impacts. It's it's not at all an industry practice that's common. No, to disclose like what is actually going into your products and how is that actually being produced. So you say they're not produced here, um, but where are they produced and what goes into the production of our everyday electronics, such as our phone or our laptop or like our flat screens? Most of the electronics that we that we currently use are assembled um, either, well, mostly in China, although some, some assembly is moving to places like Vietnam. For example, all the Samsung mobiles sold in the UK come from Vietnam. Um, 
but earlier in the supply chain, there um, at the component level, um, components are being made, um, I would say, all across Asia. And before that, there's a smelting and refining of the raw materials that go into components. And a lot of that happens in Southeast Asia as well. And before that, there's the actual you know, mining of the, of the minerals themselves. And in terms of what goes into these uh, devices, um, besides water, which is actually really unknown, but there's a huge um, usage of water in, in making, in rinsing computer chips. Um, and of course, there's the carbon emissions associated with their assembly, their the manufacture of components. In terms of the raw materials, um, you know, obviously there are the ones that you might think of, like silicon, um, the the metals, so some of the conductive and useful metals like copper and gold. Um, aluminum is used in some electronics, and it has a really high energy footprint. Um, and then you have uh, increasingly these other minerals like um, tantalum. Um, and uh, other minerals that are kind of referred to as rare earth minerals. Um, but it turns out that they're actually not that rare. <laughs> it's just that they're okay. <laughs> difficult to get, get at. They, they require a lot of um, intensive activity to mine, and they're potentially very disrupt, dis disruptive and destructive to, to the environment and to people who might live near these sites. So in a sense, yeah, um, and, and, and one of the things that I think that's important for people to, to realize is that it's true that electronics are actually getting miniaturized and they're becoming what they call lightweighted. So they're becoming lighter. But with, what, what does that mean? So well, it literally means that they are actually lighter, <laughs> but it all. Okay. Uh, and so in, in one hand, you think, okay, well, that means that the, you know, the material impacts could be potentially lower. However, with lightweighting, um, we're, they're using all kinds of new minerals, and basically they're becoming increasingly complex in terms of their, their composition. And there are consequences for this in mining, so in, the, in, the, you know, in finding these minerals, but there are also consequences for that in recycling and the end of life. So, and this is all because when you, when you mix minerals, then when you have to disassemble it or what, then it becomes much harder to actually get it into the right recycling groups. Exactly. Well, I wouldn't say they're necessarily being mixed, but yes, they're being, um, they're being used in such a, um, uh, yeah, so close together and kind of, um, and being assembled on, on boards in such a way that, um, it becomes very difficult to, to sort them. Also, just it's worth saying that um, the amount of money that goes into research and development for the light weighting and the shrinking of the electronics does not go into the recycling and the end of life. There, there's no correlation in a sense between them. And, uh, you know, because we, I guess largely a lot of this, these considerations are left to the market. And um, for whatever reason, the market can't move, doesn't seem to move quick enough to recoup minerals, um, it's still, I guess, perceived to be cheaper to just be digging them out of the ground. So most of these rare earth minerals have very, very, very low recycling rates. And, and, and that's a real issue. So right now we can't sort of take everything that's being thrown out right now because we maybe break it or we upgrade or we do anything else. All that minerals is not getting recycled enough into 
new items or new electronics so that we can slow down on actual like mining yeah yeah and this is one of the things um we'll be doing more work on this in the coming year but to raise awareness about the materials aspect of of our consumption um we've done quite a bit to try and raise awareness about carbon emissions and the stuff i started talking about but i think we have more work to do in in talking about um water usage in the supply chain and and the use of of materials because it's these are things that have um big impacts for people's lives around the world um and they're hidden from us yeah it's it is a massive it's a really really large scale both issue and and uh like industry that we have in our electronics can you say anything about like what our our main electronics right now that we produce or that we have in abundance um is there anything about like what are we actually producing the most of or what is the most like environmental environmentally destructive mm. well i mean um the we produce so many mobiles a year that obviously they're while on a individual basis their impacts may be you know they, they may be not so shocking when taken at the scale of two billion produced a year um it becomes quite quite dramatic quite soon um so some some statistics we we um we came up with these are a couple years old although i think they 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 might actually be worse at this point is that with those you know roughly two billion phones um they have a car of a, a combined carbon footprint in manufacture that's roughly equal to the annual carbon footprint of a country like Austria. Whoa, okay, that's that's something you can measure for sure. Yeah, um, and then I guess thinking of other device categories, um, obviously um, our, our consumption of laptops and PCs has actually, uh, I would say, kind of flattened out. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's slowed. Um, but and they have a pretty they have big impact anything with a screen will also have a big um will have a big environmental impact and and um you know the new screens are quite difficult to recycle also um and so one of the things that we're most worried about is is the growth of connected devices so um the 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 way in which household appliances um just about everything will be connected to your household router to your wifi and will require um, constant updates or security patches or um, imagine like all the things in your life that you use with a plug, um, having the same level of frustration, let's say, as your mobile phone in terms of, you know, keeping it up to date, making sure it has enough memory, it has enough storage, it has enough this, that. Um, it's, it's a kind of potentially scary scenario. Um, that is a scary scenario, especially if um, what I would see myself as a lot of people not being that technical uh, or have like technical hands or whatever you can call it. So having to control all of that does sound like a scary uh, feature anyway. Yeah. And it's I mean, it, it's, it's actually just madness because, you know, who really wants I mean, how many people are going to want, you know, a smart fridge or a smart I don't know, toaster or kettle or, you know, I mean, even the smart televisions, like, I, I mean, I get it, but they're already quite frustrating. <laughs> I don't know if you, you know, um, it's not just my parents' generation that's frustrated by smart television, I think. Um, 
And yeah, it, I guess what our fear is that um, that there'll be a lot of new ways associated with the frustrations around these uh, these smarts and, or connected devices. Do you think that every time a, a new wave come in of smart technologies or technologies that are going to be interconnected, that we would see um, a vast majority of our appliances getting swapped out. So right now to say, okay, a toaster, a toaster have probably looked like this for a good number of years and you would have your toaster for a number of years. But if all of a sudden all your appliances had the opportunity to be connected, then you probably wouldn't just swap out one thing, but you would have to swap out all the things that you wanted to be connected. Yeah, I mean, um, this is a whole crazy area, but um, I think manufacturers are insisting on turning things into smart connected uh, gadgets or appliances that we just that people aren't interested in, but they're they're persisting. I think there will be a wave of of new um, um, and potentially unavoidably smart appliances. Um, yeah, and it's funny because obviously at a restart at a restart party you can bring you know, anything you can, you can carry to our event, but you're not going to be bringing your smart fridge. So who's going to help people when they have, you know, pretty critical issues with um, household equipment, smart equipment. Um, it's already hard enough to get these appliances just repaired, physically repaired. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get your point here is uh, you would f- maybe f- have a hard time seeing people drag their oven down to like a social event for repairing electronics um right now the lifetimes of electronics is something that i know a lot of people are quite worried about um do you know what the general lifetime is of some of our like more common electronics um and why it is we've been in on it a little bit why why is that we maybe swap them or they break but um yeah do you know anything about the lifetime of our electronics yeah, I mean, this is, um, as I said, manufacturers are not very forthcoming about um, the models for, you know, the, the lifetimes that, that they have these numbers. They have done the work to, to model the lifetimes and their lifetime impacts. Um, they're not very forthcoming. Um, it, time was that uh, the lifetime of a mobile was considered to be two or three years. I believe some manufacturers um, have started to, you know, acknowledge that, that they have a second life, um, and and that actually, of course, helps them um, when they report back on the environmental impacts because they um, they kind of reduce the per year impacts there. Um, in terms of household appliances, I mean, I think again they've the 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 lifetimes of the appliances have been decreasing um, pretty steadily. Um, I, be, I I don't know the figures here in the UK or in Europe, but I know that. You know, a lot of white goods. A lot of white goods used to last ten and twelve years, and their life expectancy is now more like five and six years. Um, yeah, and it's it's insane because um we have we have one volunteer who says that you know a laptop should be deemed uh, like just being born at age five. You should think of when your <laughs> laptop turns age five that it's actually just been born. <clears throat> that it has at least another, you know, three to five years left in it. So a laptop should have a lifetime of maybe eight years. It could do, yeah. And but if we if we buy for upgradability, we buy with the future in mind. Yes, yeah. Um, but increasingly, it's getting hard. I mean, I'm I'm speaking to you from a an Apple laptop, and and um, mine is actually okay. It's 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 criminally not that repairable, 
but it's still, I could still, for example, switch out the battery, um, do a couple things myself. Um, the newer models are, are much less repairable. Um, and, and recently we're seeing tricks by manufacturers related to software. So if we replace out a part, for example, in our mobile with, uh, through a non-authorized repair, um, we will encounter problems, like the software will throw out problems for us and make it difficult to use it. Is it something that the producers, uh, producing companies have actually installed or like applied to this phone that if you don't go through them when you want to repair something, um, we're not going to let you succeed with that? I think it's slightly more complicated. I think that they, um, I don't take it necessarily as a conspiracy. I take it that that the way that they have designed these um, phones, that it would be slightly more work for them, just slightly, to to make it possible to use a refurbished part or a third-party part, or um, and that they're just they're simply not they're they're simply not willing to do that extra work, um, which is absurd because some of the companies I'm talking about are some of the richest companies in the world, um, and 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 they give us bogus, bogus excuses about security or this and that, but in the end. These are all problems they could solve. They just don't want to. And and, and it benefits them not to. This is something I've been thinking about once in a while. Just um, You've heard of many where they go down with their laptop. Let's say their laptop, if it's broken, uh, something inside is broken. And what they the message they get from the shop is it's easier to give you a new than bringing this one back for repair. Do you have any idea how this can be? Because from like a circular point of view you would think okay actually like if they can swap out a component mm. and give me back my computer that would be an easier thing but well, um, actually they are doing that behind the scenes they're just not letting you know that so it's the, a lot of these and i think you're probably thinking of apple but there may be other <laughs> doing this but they'll take back a device um, like, like you say they'll say um we'll give you a new one um, but what they're doing in the background is they're performing. They also they don't just give you the new one. They charge you a, a fee, and some sometimes depending on whether you're under their warranty. Um, but they'll they'll refurbish the one that you've given in, and they they will find a way to sell it. Um, or they will they or as a last case scenario, they'll use it for parts which they won't share with any independent r- repair people. Um, so, you know, there's a whole, yeah, in fact, um, Apple is actually massively betting on repair. They want to, they want to have much, um, they do have a, their own very closed circular approach. Yeah. So it sounds like it's all about market benefits. Um, of course, economy, that's something we always talk about um, as well. Okay, so... Instead of going down into the shop, I can could actually potentially bring my uh, somewhat broken phone down to one of your repair events. Yes. Um, what is the success rate normally of repairing broken electronics? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, we fix about a, a little over half of the electronics that are brought in in the three hours that they you know that they're at our events. Um, then the remainder is uh, is either repairable, so deemed repairable. Oftentimes, people don't bring the right spare part, so that's you know. So oftentimes, we'll call something repairable. Just we'll give someone advice about how to source a good spare part, which is really complicated. Um, and they'll come back to finish the repair, or we can refer them to a professional who can who can get them a good quality part and can just do the work for them. 
Um, and then a, a little under, uh, I believe it's just, um, it's about a fifth of the devices that come to our events, we just deem them end of life. There's no economic repair to be done in any way. Um, so actually the rates are pretty good. For, for smaller miniaturized electricals, for screen repairs and all of that, as I said, um, because we don't, we're not a repair shop and we don't come with all the parts with us, you know, the, you're going to have less of chance of success in your first um, restart party than, than with other things. I think that's both really impressive and a little bit scary if I think, okay, only actually only um, a fifth of your electronics you, you deem unrepairable. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think if people didn't come down and do this, many of them might just have gone on yeah. and bought a new... Yeah, absolutely. Like, people give up so easily. You'd be absolutely shocked. I mean, we see... Um, you know some of the simplest um, issues. Um, people don't people don't know how to replace a fuse anymore. Um, you know, replace what? Sorry. Fuse. So we have in the UK we have our our plugs are fused. So the the plug itself. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it provides an extra protection for the device, but it's also something you need to know how to switch out in case there's been some kind of fluctuation in electricity and you know. Um, and and others, but other things just like cleaning. Oftentimes, a clean will save a lot of things. Will help a lot of things. Um, yeah, replacing batteries. Um, so there's there's um there's a whole yeah there's just a host of um of quite simple kind of low hanging fruit repairs. And to think that they don't get done because there's no one just to give somebody a little bit of advice or a little bit of a boost. It's amazing. Um, then there are, you know, obviously extremely complex repairs that sometimes happen, um, or ones that take a three, you know, absolutely stump us that take like three hours. Um, uh, yeah, so there's there's a real wide variety, but but it's safe to say that most of the stuff that comes to our events would otherwise, yeah, just be it would be treated as end of life, and and that's pretty shocking, isn't it? That is pretty shocking, and. Um... Then when you get your your item repaired, so either even if it's just as simple as a cleaning or or changing a fuse or maybe something a bit more complicated, could you can you estimate anything about like what that how much that prolongs an item's yeah. lifetime for? This is an area which needs a lot more research. Um, so in we have a tool where we where we're um, we're modeling the environmental impact of repair, and um, we have a you know we've created some reference data on the impacts in manufacture of of many different device categories, um, and so our tool draws on that. But it makes a major assumption about what's called the displacement rate, and so yeah, we make an assumption that we displace um, half of a per- half of a new purchase. So we displace half the lifetime of a new purchase by by repairing something and that's it's we're absolutely willing to acknowledge it's a major assumption um but there needs to just be there needs to be more work in this field so there has been some research in relation to furniture relation to clothes um and there needs to be more work in relation to this and to understanding how an electronics repair could prolong the life of but also by prolonging the life of of that particular gadget, displace a new purchase. 
So if something has a lifetime of three years when they come down to you guys and you successfully repair it, you would say, okay, you gain another one and a half years at least. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. So, but yeah, if, they, if it has like a, a predicted lifetime of three years, yeah, yeah, that's what we would say. That's really cool. Um, this tool that you were talking about, um, I uh, went around a little bit on your website and platform and stuff um, and you have what is called the fixometer. That's it, yeah, <laughs> yeah that you're working with I think it sounds really uh, really cool do you mind just briefly like explaining what the fixometer is and and what you use it for yeah so we um we started you know hosting these events five years ago um we realized almost straight away that our waiting list that the list that we actually use literally on the wall in the event is actually really interesting and rich data so we decided that obviously we would like to understand a little bit more about the environmental impacts and our fixed rates and understand more about what's getting fixed or what's not getting fixed. So we tried to create this database. Um, yeah, it's a web application. We called it Fixometer. <laughs> we, yeah, since then we're, we're going to add more features. So it's used by people that host restart parties in more than 10 countries. Um, and it helps people potentially raise money and and funding to run their events locally because they can prove what their impact in preventing waste has been and preventing carbon emissions through our tool. Um, but in future, we'd like to add, you know, more like I was discussing more impacts related to um, the use of minerals. Um, and so look at some other environmental impacts. But also look at how we could start, for example, referring um, participants in our events to reliable repair businesses. So just a couple of days ago, we released um, a beta uh, piece of software where, yeah, where local groups could map reliable repair businesses around them. And we see that connecting with this repair database so that if a repair, for example, a status at the end of the event is this thing is repairable, it needs a professional, then we have a tool to refer people to professional and actually stimulate the local repair economy. That sounds incredible. So you have both a part of it where you show the actual impact that you have from repairing, so both in emissions and your the waste that's not generated by repairing. Mm -hmm. And then actually also linking people up to repairers if they need it. I think that's a, a really cool database. So if I come down to you guys if I have something that's broken and I want to I'm thinking okay these restart parties this sounds amazing I want to see if I can if I can fix it what do I need do I need um you said spare parts do I also need some kind of skills or how do I get started with uh with you guys yeah, well, we assume nothing about you <laughs> all you need to do is bring this device and tell us your name and wait to be paired with a volunteer um but actually everyone brings with them some skills actually they may not know it but so we work with people to um to disassemble a device to do some troubleshooting and often based on people's experience just living in the world they actually have more skills than they might know but actually no skills are required we provide the tools um our volunteers are, are and in a sense they're like coaches they help people learn how to repair um, and and nothing nothing is required. If if a spare part is required, like if you want to do a, a a battery change, well we don't carry batteries. And the same applies to screens and other things. So oftentimes people ask us before they come, you know, about about sourcing a spare part. When you then are down there, um, if I need something fixed, but it's a, an easy fix, can I also at these repair events maybe learn something more? 
like a bit more full about like what is my electronics um so it's not maybe just about um a cleanup of if something is is dirty or whatever but also something about how they actually work a bit more deeply on the inside absolutely so i mean ideally our volunteers are kind of narrating and teaching people about the way things work um and when they're troubleshooting, when they're trying to understand what's wrong, they often narrate that and involve people, show them different parts of the device and how they work. Um, and, you know, even there are people who help just, a repair is actually just helping with software or a certain configuration. Um, so, yeah, so it, that kind of, you know, that that kind of learning definitely happens um, about about in just about the the way computers work, the way electricals work, the way electricity works. That's happening at our events for sure. Another thing you said about your repair events that you started it is in London, right? And you started somewhere, but you have different events now. Yeah. Did you say across London? Yeah, we have events. How people are running events all across London, um, the UK, and ten other countries. Yeah. Well, ten other countries. So it's actually. A pretty big network, so like right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the the repair cafe network is bigger. It's spread really quickly across the world. So that includes people that do sewing and fix bikes and furniture and other things. Um, but we focus really cl- in on electronics because partly because we want to you know uh, educate people about the issues. Yeah. But there are one thousand five repair cafes in the world, just to give you an idea. Yeah. 1,500 repair cafes. That is incredible. That's yeah. really impressive, actually. We've created kind of a network of, of community repair events, of people hosting these events across the world. Okay, guys. The, that is how abruptly this interview actually ended due to connection and computer problems. Anyways, that shouldn't take anything away from the important messages of this interview. So what Janet was finishing off saying was that um, they are trying to work together with repair groups all around the world. And finally, I managed to ask her, so what can I do or what can we do to make our devices last longer before they actually need to go for repair? Janet answered that you have to protect it, you have to learn how it works, and then you have don't have to be so frightened of it. I'll let that be the last comment from this interview. So go in and find the repair project through this week's show notes together with a few other useful links to the repair network on influencebynature.com. So maybe you should check out whether there is a repair cafe close to yourselves um, where you can repair your electronics or in general other items that you need to uh, repair. Here in the very end, if you like this episode or in general enjoy what we do on this podcast, maybe even if you just learn something from it, then please share it with your friends and family. You can always get in contact with us on ibnpod at gmail.com. We'll be back in a few weeks with uh, the next episode. So I hope you just take care until then. Bye.